There we are. Uh, there's nothing worse than telling a group of people that so-and-so is going to be funny. Uh, um, because this will create a great sense of anticipation <laughs> across the room. Uh, what a, we've, we've had a great day already, and uh, I don't want to spoil it. Um, we could have gone home at the end of the first session, really, and felt that it was a time worth spent and a day worth spending, but... Um, but here we are. I've just been sat on the front row and I've been, um, well, if, if I tell you the truth, uh, I've just been sat there looking at him. And um, why don't you do that for a minute? Why don't you just close your eyes? Don't speak. Don't do anything. Just for a moment, just look at him. When I was looking at him, he was, he was, he was looking at me. And he'll be looking at you. The psalmist said, I have set the Lord always before me. We were praying earlier and we're here today because we want to, we want God's voice, but actually we want, we want all of him, don't we? I want him. I really want him. I reckon if I get hold of him, I'll get his voice, but I want all of him. The last few meetings we've had, by the way, uh, it's been our joy to see people get healed in every meeting, the last few meetings we've had. That will happen here today as well. And uh, so we're going to believe God that God will heal you today. And uh, I am sure that God will heal some people in just a few minutes' time. And uh, you'll, you'll like that. You'll like that. You will. You will. I'm, I'm being serious. Uh, you, some of you will be healed in... In just a short time. And uh, it's going to be great. You say, oh, well, expected that. Went to that healing conference and nothing happened. And then I went to a prophecy conference and got, and got healed. How did that happen? Well, we're mixing our drinks. Well, uh, I'm the after-dinner um, speaker. Uh, or, or was it lunch in this part of the world? It's hard to say, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, and am, I, am I having tea later or dinner? Dinner. <laughs> okay. There's nothing like encouraging unity in the body of Christ. Mark out a divisive person, the Bible says. Um, yes, so uh, it's my job to keep you awake, isn't it? And I'll try and, I'll try and, st- I'll try and stay awake myself. If you like, that'd be good. Um, I, I'm not a prophet, but the Lord has. Uh, I was uh, before the Lord delivered me uh, out of uh, uh, pastoring uh, and and into the Bible College. Although maybe going back into pastoring doesn't seem such a bad idea. Um, I pastored for 20 years, or, or just under. And um, uh, in, in every sphere of my pastoral life, uh, it sort of came to me to be the pastor of um, prophets or prophetic people. And uh, please, let's just have a little rider here that I can use the word prophets today quite freely uh, without it sounding like it's some incredible statist person or some amazing thing. When I use the word prophets, I simply mean, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians 14, someone who operates in the gift of prophecy. And so if I say prophet, are you a prophet? You don't have to look and say, you know, do I have a long beard, a cloak? Do I look like Gandalf? Uh, uh, do, you know, do I wear a hood? 
can I see the future? All, all, all we mean is someone who uh, regularly uh, exercises the gift of prophecy. There are other kinds of prophets, of course, like the ones in Ephesians 4.11, uh, but I'm particularly talking this afternoon uh, about the use that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 14, where there's a group of people in a local church whose names we don't know. They're not on the front cover of uh, Charisma magazine. and uh, But they regularly minister to the church. And so, so it's in that sense I use the word prophets today. So I have been um, the pastor of um, prophets for really the whole of my ministry. And then uh, now I teach uh, th- you know, s- uh, topics like the Holy Spirit at Madison Hall and try to encourage prophets there. And so I don't know if I'm a prophet, I don't think I am, but I've certainly given birth to a few, or I've fostered a few, or I've adopted a few um, over the years. And so what I wanted to do today, just for a few minutes, which is a lie, uh, of course, but just for a few minutes, is to uh, just talk through a very, very simple, and hopefully some, some things that you won't have thought of before, and if not, uh, to... to uh, inspire you, either you've never prophesied in your life, uh, or maybe you used to operate um, a little bit, and you just need a bit of reignition today, uh, because we need the voice of God um, in, our, in our churches, uh, more than we need a whole lot of other things that we think we need, we need the voice of God. Uh, I mean, of all the other things that could happen today, in whatever circumstance, we're to, to be able to go home today and say, I think God may have spoken to me. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Just an amazing thing to have happen. Uh, even if you came here by bus and go home by bus, to have heard the voice of God. And really, as John said earlier, I think for many of us, if the Lord really did come down here and speak to us today... I've got a feeling he would say to us, why don't you get on with doing what I told you to do 20 years ago? Uh, oh Lord, I need a new word. Yes, hear the word of the Lord. Obey the old word. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You, know, you know, microwave the old word and pretend you freshly cooked it. You know, I mean, how many confirmations do people need? Before, we're not talking about confirmation, but, but disobedience. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I often teach on Gideon's fleece. And just, just some of the follies of the, that sometimes people make of that. Where he put out the, you know, he put his jumper out in the field in the afternoon. And, and then, he, then he hoped it would be wet. And then he hoped it would be dry. I mean, make up your mind. Uh, but, but, uh, but actually, the Lord had already told him what to do. And he was asking for another sign. And, uh, you know, some of us Pentecostals have got more confirmation going on in our churches than in the Anglican community. <laughs> right? There's a lot of confirmation required. I just need another confirmation. Oh, I just need the Lord to confirm. No, do it! <laughs> do it! And so, so I'm sure if God were to speak to me today, he would just remind me of things he's already told me to do. And the idea that God is somehow waiting for the right moment to talk to me, uh, I find that very strange. But anyway, I want to reignite you. And for others, I want to inspire you to, to um, begin. And um, I've got so much material here that I can prophesy now this session will conclude uh, with the second coming. Um, I can tell you that. I mean, you can, you can, you can guarantee that, and uh, and and I'll make that true. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just keep going until match of the day, of course, John. <laughs> Which isn't on anymore, is it? Anyway, uh, didn't didn't we lose that in Brexit? Um, what we've tried to do in in the churches that I've had the privilege to be. Part of I was in I was down in Torquay for a while, and um, which is a hundred miles south of England. <laughs> Used to get to Bristol and think, oh, we're in England. Uh, 
And then I was in I was in Cambridge for thirteen years as well before coming to Massey Hall. And um, really, if you want the treasure, you have to buy the whole field. Do you remember that parable? If you want treasure, you have to buy the whole field. And in the context of the of a prophetic church, that means that we're going to have to buy in to the possibility that people are going to get up and speak and it's not going to be God. Right? And if you don't want that, then you're not going to get treasure either for those moments when it is God. It's the same with the healing ministry. If you don't want a scenario where you'll pray for someone and they won't recover, if you won't have that, then you won't have the moments when they do. Everyone understand? You've got to buy the whole field. And, uh, and some of the field has got some trash in it. And uh, it's got some bits of sticks in it and an old Mars bar wrapper from the 70s that's faded. All right, it's got it's got an old cheese sandwich carton in it, um, and you can tell it's old because it's fifty nine p. It's got some old stuff in it that 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 you don't want, but buried in that field is some incredible treasure, and that treasure is the voice of God. And so uh, we try to create communities, churches, church services. I, I guess is what I'm trying to say, where the prophets had permission to speak and the people had permission to forget it. Right, you with me? Right, so the prophets were allowed to talk and the people to whom they spoke were allowed to say, nah, no, that's not, that's not it. And you have to have both of those things really working well to have a kind of a uh, uh, um, a free flow of the of the spirit of God. Oh, that was my own experience. Anyway, in other words, you have to have a place, safe places, and and of course, you know, there are uh, uh, places where it's uh, where, where there are more safety nets, like smaller groups and prayer meetings in the week and whatever, rather than you know when you've got the mayor in. Can you say amen? amen. Someone goes up to the mayor. It's lovely to see you here. And by the way, I saw three frogs come out of the river. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, that maybe that's not the place to try out your prophetic ministry. But, but you do need a place where, where there's liberty to speak, but also liberty for God's people to be able to say, uh, well, uh, I really appreciated someone moving in faith, but on that occasion, I'm not sure that really was, was um, God. So we want to get started, and we want to get reignited. And even in the New Testament, someone like Timothy, whose gift I suspect was prophecy, but we're not sure, is told to fan into flame the gift of God and to stir up in the King Jim, right? To stir up the gift of God. Um, I'm one of these people who um, likes a bit of sugar in my drink, you know? And, uh, uh, but I'm not very good at stirring it. And so if you're like me, you'll know what it's like to keep putting the sugar in, thinking, well, it's not really working, this. And then the final moment of the drink. It's, it's quite an interesting moment, isn't it? Where you, you wouldn't want anyone to, you know, do a selfie with you. As all of that sugar suddenly is there. You see, I think that's going to be true for many of us. And let's pray that it isn't. But true of many of us, that in our final moments, as we stand before God, we realize how gifted we were. It was all in there, but it didn't get stirred up to become part of our lives. And so, in fact, this this is not an impartation meeting. Many of you have already got all sorts of um, abilities given to you by God. Uh, The question is, are we going to stir these up or are we going to fan them into flame? Timothy's told, don't neglect the gift that is in you through the laying on of hands. So it must be possible to do so then. I tell our students all the time, moving in the Holy Spirit. Now, now this isn't very, this isn't good theology, but I, I say it anyway. Uh, but moving in the Holy Spirit is often one part power and nine parts courage. Right? So uh, right on the day of Pentecost, 
begins the process of how God's going to work. He fills them with the Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues. All right? So he, he pours out his power, but God's people then begin to operate as though they've got that power. Yes? Uh, people often talk and, uh, it's often, you know, noted, well, it's not, you know, the acts of the apostles. It's, it's not really the acts of the apostles. It, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know what people mean when they say that, but I often like to go, no, point of order, Mr. Chairman. Uh, it's not the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the acts of the apostles. Because if people act like apostles, then we shall see the acts of the apostles back. If the apostles had not acted, there would be no acts. The Holy Spirit is poured out, but at such a time as that, people need to respond and behave and believe and act as though that's the case. And so in our churches, I believe, the Holy Spirit has for sure been poured out. Uh, for sure. But it's time for us to behave as though that's the case. It's time for us to believe. I remember one time, uh, just before we came out, a group of elders and I, this was in Cambridge, we were, we were so small, people were bringing their pets to get our numbers up. <laughs> so we, oh, we've taken a census today. We've taken a census. There were 200 of us today, including fish. What's for lunch? Chips and something else. But I remember saying to the elders, why don't we, why don't we believe that we're anointed? Why don't we behave as though we're anointed today? I remember that. It was a vivid thing. Standing, praying near the drums. That's the best place to pray. Uh, for, for no other reason than it means the drummer can't, you know, get in and get, and get noisy. But there we are, praying around the drum. And I said, why don't, why don't we, why don't we behave today? As though we're anointed by God. And I remember that. And of course it's just an anecdote. But I remember that service. The power of the Holy Spirit displayed. The power of the Holy Spirit had not arrived. The power of the Holy Spirit was already there. He'd been there every week. But now we were behaving as though it were the case. Can you say amen? amen. Okay. So a few things to say about the gift of prophecy and and being prophetic. And I'm talking about you now and me. Ordinary people. Number one, I guess, you know, very simple. But we're going to have to believe that this is for us. Right? So just really, you know, dovetailing what I'm saying. We're going to have to believe that this is for us. What does Moses pray back in the Old Testament? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. Joel's prophecy has already been uh, shared with us today. I'll pour out a spirit on all flesh. And then Peter says on the day of Pentecost, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so this is something for all of us. All of us. First uh, Corinthians 14.1 Eagerly desire spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.39 Be eager to prophesy. And so there's this place where there's a level of human responsibility and choice that I have to be eager to prophesy. Today, listen, I have to be eager to prophesy. Yeah. Yeah. Eager. Right? And and perhaps even more importantly, tomorrow, in another setting, I have to be eager to prophesy. Now, that's not eager to be a show-off. That's not eager to grab a microphone. My goodness, no. But eager to build people up. Eager to hear from God so that I can build you up and give you hope for the future. Eager to do it. Uh, earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. It's, I mean, these are incredible verses, aren't they? We have to believe it is for us. 
What is prophecy? I, uh, all sorts of definitions have uh, come, and I won't, I won't offer you too many today, and uh, you, you will all be aware of many of them. For me, it is the ability to build someone else up. The Greek word oikodomio being used by Paul is the same word you would use to build a house. So he says this, when you speak in tongues, you build your own house. But if you come and prophesy, you build up someone else's house. That's essentially, you know, where this goes. We, we come together to build one another up. And to be eager to do so. As inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, there are different levels of prophecy. One of my students will ask me every year the same question. It's always good when they ask the same questions because I'm ready. <laughs> it's like going on a quiz show, isn't it? Well, they didn't ask me the right questions. But every year, someone in my class will say this. What's the difference between someone prophesying and a prophet? What's the difference between someone who just prophesies in church and a prophet? And I've got a great answer. Do you, do you want to hear it? Yes. Is it worth ten quid? Yes. <laughs> I say, is this? Twenty years. <laughs> Twenty years, normally. Thirty years, maybe. You see, if you keep on doing it, you, if you keep on doing it, how many people in this room can swim? Just, just wave your hand. Great. Let's all go out later and do it. For the sake of the tape, the tape, there's no such thing as a tape, Peter. There are no tapes. For those listening on a gramophone later. How many preachers still talking about a stuck record? And a whole generation going, I don't know what that is. Do you mean, do you mean a broken iPod? No, most people in this room can swim. Most people in this room believe it would be good for everyone to learn to swim. And are there people in this room here who swim a lot? Just, just wave at me, anybody? Right, for the sake of the tape, uh, 60 of them, wave their hand. There's one. And do we have any Olympic swimmers in the room? No. What a surprise. They're probably at the Elim uh, conference. That's more to do with water, you know. I'm here all day. You see, everyone should probably learn to swim. Some people will swim a lot, and other people will become swimming instructors. Well, the gift of prophecy might be a bit like that, mightn't it? Everyone should learn to swim. Everyone should be eager to prophesy. Everyone should pray that they might interpret a tongue. Everyone should want to come and build others up. And then there'll be another group of people who swim a lot. They go uh, swimming a lot. They're good swimmers. They swim a lot. You can learn something from them, and yet others are Olympic swimmers, who in fact become swimming coaches and can teach others. And I believe something in that illustration helps us between the simple prophet in the church moving towards a prophetic ministry, moving towards a prophet. Yeah, very good. Very good. Now listen, if you believe that it's good for you to swim and you've never swam before, guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to expect you to go down the deep end. Are we? Right? And so just because someone has an incredible prophetic ministry... And knows everyone's name and address and whatever. Which is amazing because not even the post office knows everyone's name and address. Right? And then you get a young person or about, not necessarily young in age but young in experience. Go, oh, so that's what prophesying is. 
and they, without any water wings or float or whatever, dive into the deep end. And of course, in terms of prophecy, they won't drown themselves, but they'll drown others. Right, you with me? And so I would say to our guys, you know, now listen, I'm going to release you to be, to have, to have prophecy in the church, but here are the rules. Do not give out any mates, dates, places, or faces. Stop telling people who they're going to marry. Stop telling people that there's an open door and it's going to be open in 20 days. You know, stop all this stuff. Because you're not deep end people. You're shallow end learners. And uh, as people develop more and as they gain more experience and as they learn to trust their own ability to hear from God, uh, as well as gain favor, uh, you know, uh, um, um, among the people. I, I mean, we had a young prophet in our church in Cambridge. He's um, um, uh, he's now the pastor of the church, and uh, so that's one thing he didn't see coming, isn't it? And um, <laughs> so he's not that good. But he um, he said to me, he said, "Oh, Pete said he." never realized it was going to be like this. I thought, well, you know, (laughs) you should have done. (laughs) But he was a young prophet and he would, uh, and and, and I'm talking about, he is a prophet. He can, um, he has information, he, he, uh, uh, you know, senses even people's occupations, their, their particular scenarios. I've been out evangelizing with him. And we were just walking through the streets of Cambridge, and suddenly, you know, I mean, we're just going to have a coffee, and he suddenly goes down a back alley, and goes up to a guy who's unclipping his bike, and he goes straight up to him, and he says, the Lord knows all about what happened last night, he said, and he leaned right into him, pulled him close, he said, last night you tried to commit suicide, didn't you? And I'm there thinking, I just came out for a bit of a hot chocolate here. And the man is shaking and how do you know this and crying. That's the power of God yeah. at work yeah. in that young man. Yeah. But he didn't start out like that. He started out by saying, behold, the Lord loves you. You know, you know the Lord's got great things for you. Amen. And, you know, sat down shaking with fear. But he's grown into that. And he's grown in confidence. He's a deep end swimmer now. He can train swimmers now. So today, what we're really talking about is particularly shallow end swimmers. Let's all get in the pool, yes? Let's all get in the pool. Um, And so, that's the first thing. We have to believe it's for us. Number two is... Very simple thing. I I call it this. Check your inbox. Check your inbox. 1 Corinthians 14.26 is the verse that released me into believing that God could use me in spiritual gifts of, of whatever kind they are. It says this. What then shall we say? When you come together... Every one, and I can hear my old pastor Cliff Tight back in Payton preaching this in the, in the King James. Every one of you, every one of you has, and then there's a whole array of things that they might have, a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done. For the strengthening of the church. I remember sitting there, you know, 20 years old, my pastor teaching me. Every one of you, when you come together, every one of you. And I remember reading that thinking, wow, that's me, isn't it? I'm there. I'm there early because I'm on the I'm on the projector slides. Remember those? Uh, that, that was my ministry for years, projector sliding. Do you remember those acetates? Yeah. I was that guy that wouldn't let you see the next line. <laughs> I had the piece of paper. You want to know what the next line is? Oh, luck. I will show you when you are good and ready. You're not ready for that yet. Why do they do that? Why do those people do that? They should be in prison. 
No, I remember being on the projector slides, but thinking to myself, actually, every one of you, when you come together, you can expect God to speak to you and use you. Every one of you. I thought, wow, every one of you. So I remember uh, when I I arrived as as a student, I'd come from a very prophetic church back in Paynton. That's just that's in northern France, as you know. And uh, but there, but there, in, there was a lot of prophets and things. And, and then when I came to in, into another setting, I won't say where it was, but I came into another setting where there were none. And it was so strange to me. This was a place that had not bought the field, right? They didn't want funny words, so so there were no words. And so I remember thinking, do you know what? I am going to minister. In the, and I made a human decision. Now, rightly or wrongly, I think it was right, but anyway, rightly or wrongly, I made up my mind, no one is using the gifts of the Spirit in this church, so I am going to. Until someone else does, and then maybe I can stop. But, but every one of you, and so I used to go out before... The Sunday service, there was a little area I used to walk around as a field area. And I used to walk around that field, praying in the Spirit, building up my own house. Yes? So that when I arrived in God's house, I could build up someone else's house. Right? And so so that's what I did. I did it every Sunday. Went out, prayed in the Spirit, sought God, Lord, what do you want me to say today? And by the way, I had no desire to take over the church. I had no desire to have a microphone. None at all. And in many ways, I still, I'd still much rather still be sat down there looking at Jesus than looking at you. I mean, you're lovely, but it was lovely to look at Jesus. <laughs> so I used to walk around the field, and I used to believe God. Lord, will you speak to me? And I, I, did, I used to look like that. And then I would arrive at the church, and then during the worship, I would sense the Holy Spirit speaking to me, and then I would get up terrified, uh, you know, shaking, and I would speak, sit down, and then my heart's going, and how many of you know what this means, you know, head spinning, and, uh, my life's over, you know, <laughs> the room's spinning round. People in the church thinking, who does he think he is? And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, who do I think I am? And this, this, this went on and on. But, but it happened because I sought it. It's because I was eager. I've, I read the text. I read the text. Now, this means something very simple to me. It means that in, in a scenario like this, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what God's going to say. We mustn't mastermind or control this. We must not function without the unction. Can you say amen? amen. Right? So we're not trying to function without unction. That's good, that, isn't it? I, I stole that, obviously, off somebody. But it means that I can, I, if, if I can say, Lord, speak to me, use me. There's a real good chance, forgive that such a broad phrase, but you, you get what I mean. There's a real good chance that God would speak to me and use me. Because he says that when we come together, every one of us can do this. Now, here's the thing. If you've not had mail, it might be that you're not logged in. Have you ever been away from Wi-Fi for, say, more than, I don't know, something terrible, like more than seven minutes or something terrible. <laughs> you think, what's happening? Has anyone tweeted? <laughs> Since Twitter came out, I've got a right twitch going on. Now, have you ever been away? Let's say, let's say you've been away from your, from your computer for a day. A day. Oh, you know, you're taking special tablets for this. <laughs> You haven't got your phone and you've run out of credit or the, the hotel in Stapleford that promised it have Wi-Fi didn't. Not that I'm saying anything. <laughs> oh, and then you finally get connected in, go to your emails and nothing. 
right? Nothing. You haven't got a long lost granddad in Africa that's leaving you a million quid. Uh, uh, you know, nothing. What is most likely the case is not that you haven't got any mail, but that somehow the internet is down. It's more likely in, for, for, for most of us here, if you went away for a week then, and when you got back, there was no mail. It's more likely that you think, oh, is the Wi-Fi working in the house? We need to reboot it because you don't believe that you haven't got mail. You just believe you haven't received it. See? And, and we need to create a culture of, you know, forgive the phrase, but we need to create a culture of Wi-Fi on. Because if we turn our Wi-Fi on, we'll get mail. If you'll look at him, he'll look at you. If you'll speak to him, he'll speak to you. Right? Right, everyone with me? Now don't go home and go, oh, all he talked about was getting the Wi-Fi fixed down at the Haven. I'm not talking about Wi-Fi, I'm talking about heavenly um, perception. Check your inbox. Most people think if they've got no email, then something is suspicious. If you went away for six weeks and there was no mail, physical mail through your letterbox, you'd think the postman are on strike. You would not think that no one has sent you anything. <coughs> Boy, I'm getting letters from Theresa May at the moment. <laughs> She's never sent me anything before. <laughs> I'd like to think that she even licked the stamp. I told a member of my family last night, I said, I've got a stamp licked by Theresa May. Do you know what she said to me? She said, let's clone her. (laughs) Do you know, I'd never thought of that. (laughs) Wisdom in council. Yeah, Theresa May. I phoned her up, I said, Terry, I said, you know. (laughs) No, if you went away and there was no mail... You'd think the Royal Mail are shut. If you go away from the internet and there's no email after a few days, you think something's wrong. But it's not the lack of mail. It's the lack of reception. If the TV don't work, it's the TV that's broken. It's not the BBC that's shut. Yes? And so I want us to make... And, you know, for many of you, maybe, uh, and this isn't a corporate thing. It's not something that a, a whole church can decide to do. Of course, of course, that is possible. But, but I'm talking about your reception. I'm talking about your router. Get your router on. Get your reception going. We might start to hear from the Lord. Third one is this. And we'll have a break in a minute to give you a chance to leave if you need to. Yeah, people say, I've just, I've just, you know, gone out to the bathroom. And then you hear the ignition of the car. (laughs) So if you want to move in the gift of prophecy, number one, you're going to have to believe it's for you. And you're you're going to have to pray about it and seek it. Number two, you're going to have to check your inbox in appropriate contexts. Right? Now, there are, there are appropriate contexts for prophecy, and there are non-appropriate contexts for prophecy, aren't there? Yes? yes? Everyone understand that? Yes. So, that wedding you're going to next Saturday, that ain't the time to give an utterance in tongues, is it? As the, as the bride's coming down the aisle, Behold, the Lord saith, Canada is going to be destroyed. Anyway, carry on, everyone. So there are appropriate contexts. And by the way, we need to be a bit sensitive. You may come from a church context where it's less appropriate than another church, where it's more appropriate. It's more, you know, acceptable, culturally acceptable within that, within that Christian tradition. So I don't want you going to war with your pastor over this. No matter how gifted you are, you are not Elijah. 
And your pastor is not wicked King Ahab. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So, you know, don't come... Oh, well, the pastor, he's got such a... He's, he's trying to control the spirit. No, he's just trying to control your spirit. <laughs> it's like when I was in Torquay, this guy came in with a hat. And not that it's wrong to have a hat, but I just remember him. And he stood up and he started to prophesy. Oh, I didn't know who he was. So we asked him, no, 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 brother, no, thank you, thank you. And he said, no, he said, I need to speak. I've got a word. And Ian Williams, who was my fellow leader at the time, he said, yeah, well, I've got two words. Sit down. (laughs) So there are appropriate contexts. And there are inappropriate ones. But sometimes you're in an appropriate context. Today is an appropriate context. Right? To say, Lord, will, I, c- c- will you speak to me? If I look at you and you look at me, if I speak to you, will you speak to me? Maybe you came here today hoping to get a word to build you up. Why don't we believe God that God will give you a word to build up someone else? Yeah. Why don't you build someone else's house? Why don't you microwave those old words? Get them nice and heated up at home. But maybe the time has come for the breath of God to enter you, for you to be a blessing to someone else. Number three is, we really do need to know our Bible. Sometimes I used to say to our prophetic teams, I used to say this, you lot need to know your Bible better than the preacher. Why, they would say. I say, because the preacher has got notes. The preacher, most likely, prepared for this occasion. But you, the prophets, will find yourselves in moments of high spontaneity. Yes? Yes? Now, it doesn't always work like that. And in those old days of seeking God, I felt God would maybe speak to me when I was walking around that field. And then I would arrive with that word, having thought it through a bit and how I would communicate it, etc. But other times, it would seem that prophecy has, has, of course, a certain spontaneity about it. Don't get precious about that. I've no doubt that prophecy can work with levels of preparation as well. But, but if you're operating in a spontaneous way, then that means you're operating really without a good deal of a forethought. And that means you are going to have to know your Bible really, really well. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to say all sorts of ridiculous stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Is it okay to say that? Yeah. It's true. It's true. And so when the prophets of the Old Testament spoke, these were people steeped in the Torah and in the, in, and, uh, in the covenants and the precepts of Israel. They knew uh, 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 about the character of God and the will of God. And as a result of that, they were able to prophesy in line with, now listen to me carefully, in line with the character of God. And the will of God. We're supposed to know a good deal about the character of God and the will of God already. I love what it says in 1 John where he says, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He doesn't say pray if it be thy will. He tells them to pray according to God's will. That means they should know what it is. Now, of course, there are things we don't know. We don't know everything. But generally speaking, we should be a people of the word, which means we are steeped in an understanding of the character and the will of God, irrespective of any charismatic gifts that may accompany our lives. And so prophets do really need to know their Bibles. Uh, You get... Absurd things, and I won't say where this happened, but if you ask me over cake, I'll, I will freely tell you, for maybe, maybe a small donation to charity, my own, but um, 
that I'm raising money so I can look like that again. It's going to take thousands. Uh, but there was one place not so far from here where one Sunday morning a prophet arose from his seat and spake unto the people. A great fear hath come upon the land. Fear is all around. There is fear in the houses of power. Fear among the poor. Fear among the rich. Fear even among my people. So much fear, saith God, that even I, the Lord thy God, am afraid. There was someone who perhaps didn't really understand the Bible and didn't really understand the character of God. Number four, let me just do one more and then we'll have a little break. One more is this. So number one, uh, we need to believe it's for us. Number two, check our inbox. Number three, know our Bible. You're not killing the spirit by becoming a theologian, by the way. I love what Rainer Bonke says. It is not an advantage to be stupid. (laughs) It's not. Number four, and uh, I promise we will land the plane in a minute and you can have a Belgian bun or whatever. Whatever's going on. Sense the spirit of fear coming out among the leaders. We haven't got any Belgian ones. <laughs> um, well, we've left Europe anyway, haven't we? Um, number four. Someone who ministers in a prophetic way will need to um, develop the difference and know the difference. And we found this in our ministry all these years between what I call revelation and interpretation of what God is saying to them. This is um, very tricky because it involves a personal relationship with God. It involves the Holy Spirit himself being the teacher. So, for example, the best way to learn how to pray is to pray, isn't it? The best way to learn how to do evangelism is to do evangelism. And sometimes the best way to learn how to prophesy is to prophesy. Now, we can receive input and advice and help, but but very often it's in the doing that we can make our mistakes or learn and, and, you know, all of that. Um. But God does use people differently. And, uh, and one of the problems is, it's a bit like a diet, isn't it? And I've, I've, I have heard of diets. Um, I've, I've read about them in a book. One of the issues is, it's a bit like a diet. So someone writes a book about what worked for them. And then you read it. It hasn't worked for you. In fact, you're hungry and you've started to eat the pages. <laughs> Yeah. So the so sometimes someone who ha- who operates in prophecy can't really convey it fully to you because that's just the way maybe the Lord has taught them, and we are all different. And if you just read the prophets of the Old Testament, look how different the books are. They're all prophetic, but they're different, and God uses people differently. Um. But I think there is a, a, a place to ask God, will you help me? Let me, let me give you an, an example of this. I remember one time I was praying with a, a Spanish lady, I think, or a Latin American lady. And uh, I took hold of her hand and I was going to pray for her. And I can see it now, right at the front of the church. And as, as I start to pray for her, very strongly I am caught by an impression uh, of of having missed the bus. So all I've got in my, as I'm praying, and I say, Lord, thank you for her. And I, you know when you're praying, but you're thinking about something else? 
So, so I'm praying for her and just hoping that what I'm saying is roughly right while I'm thinking about something else. And all I'm thinking is, the bus was missed. The bus was missed. And so I, I begin to pray for her and I say to her, I want you to know from God that you may feel like you've missed the bus. But you haven't. And uh, you may feel it's too late for you, but it isn't. Because what I'm, I'm trying to interpret, everyone understand what I mean? I'm trying to interpret what's in my spirit. I'm trying to interpret it as best I can. And I gave her this amazing prophecy. It was, it was nonsense, by the way. I'll get to the end now. <laughs> About, you've missed the bus. She's crying. And by the way, if a prophet speaks and someone cries, bingo. Yeah. <laughs> you think, oh, it's amazing. Now, sometimes they're crying because they want to go home. <laughs> They've come to a conference and their car's blocked in. And now Agabus has shown up with a few words about a frog. No wonder they're crying. But so, so she's crying, and I'm thinking, oh, this is amazing. And then she gives a testimony in the afternoon. I'm sitting there, oh, I am Agabus. I am Isaiah. Or, or Isaiah, if I want to travel to America. And she gives this testimony. And she says that she met her husband because he missed his bus. But I'd wax lyrical about some <laughs> plan of God. So I want to be glad that as soon as I said miss the bus, she started crying and heard nothing of the remaining nonsense <laughs> that came out of my mouth. Uh, everyone understand? Now what had happened there? I'd got a great revelation, hadn't I? And by the way, it changed her life. She knows there's a God. Because he knows all about her. She spent her life telling people, oh, we met because he missed the bus. And now suddenly, I, who don't know her, start to pray about missing the bus. And then, if anyone missed the bus, it was me! (laughs) I'm going on about some plan of God. But she's crying, her life's changed. And it made me realize afresh that actually you can know in part and prophesy in part. And there's a place for us to learn and it's it's very complicated. Of course, it's not something we can really handle in just a couple of minutes today. But there's a place for us to get around other prophetic people. How do you handle this? You You know, what is it that we can draw from this? And by the way, sadly, there is no code book to help you do that. Here's one of my favorite examples of this. Let's take the issue of numbers in the life of Joseph the prophet. So in the life of Joseph, the one with the coat, you know, and, the, and all the hit songs. Um... Imagine when we get to heaven and we see Joseph and we think, he doesn't look like Donny Osmond at all. (laughs) Thank you. Who's Donny Osmond? (laughs) Well, he's a very famous Mormon, if you really want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Moving swiftly on. (laughs) Before I miss the bus again. No, but in the life of Joseph, like for, for example, his first vision or dream or whatever it is, he sees um, this, the, the 11, I know it more in Lloyd Webber than in Moses, right? So, but he sees the 11 sheaves of corn all turn and bow to mine, right? So in that first instance, the numbers were referring to what? People? Right? And then a little later, he's in, he's in a dungeon and, or prison. And then there are three baskets in that uh, dream that the, that the butler and the baker have, or you know, the, the candlestick maker, they're all in there. And, um, but there, the numbers don't mean people now, do they? They mean days. 
So had he had some sort of prophetic code book, that would have come out very wrong indeed. And then I'll remind you, he's shortly taken up to the palace where seven fat cows come out of the Nile. Ah, ha, ha. And the seven cows refer to seven years, years, not days, not people. And so there you've got an example in the Bible of where Joseph had to have a clear relationship with the Spirit of God to understand each time that he was speaking, Lord, what does this mean? And that might be, and it's another issue, but that might be why in the Bible it's very rare in the New Testament to find a prophet. It's much more common to find prophets, people who are together. So in Corinth, the prophets are a group of people together. Even Agabus, in Acts 11, it says there was a group of prophets, one of whom was named Agabus. So even there, he's part of a team. And uh, I wrote a little book a few years ago on how to judge prophecy, and I talked about prophetic teams. It's still available on, on Amazon for one pence. Uh, which is a huge blessing to any author to see that. I hope you enjoy the £2.60 it costs you to have it shipped to you. There's nothing like seeing your book on Amazon for one pence. No, it, it's good. It, 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 it builds up my house. <laughs> I'm thinking of buying it and selling it on for a fiver. That would build my house. If only I could sell them. I went to Hollybush the other day. I saw my tapes in the bargain bucket. That really is an all-new low. Fortunately, I saw that Dr. John Andrews had more in the bucket than I did. (laughs) Made me feel like I was in good company. So sometimes you can get a revelation that needs you to have some level of interpretation. And so it's not just about what you see. It's about, Lord, what does that mean? And listen, why don't we believe in a God who actually talks to us, not just sends us pictures? Yes? Some people have had seen more pictures than people in, you know, working in the Louvre. Uh, It's not just about seeing pictures and having impressions. It's about having a dialogue with the Lord, isn't it? Say, what does this mean? Help me. What am I supposed to do with this? These three baskets, are they three people? Are they three years? What does this mean? And uh, there's a place for God to, to dialogue with us. Often a prophetic word is a journey. It begins with you seeking God. Please will you put your breath in me. When God's breath is in you, his word will be in you. Won't it? Because you only get word if you have breath. No breath, no words. Believe it or not, I'm breathing today. That's why you're hearing me. If I don't have breath, I don't have words. If you have the breath of God in you, you'll start to get the word of God in you. All right? That's a very Old Testament thing, but that's, that's true in the New Testament. The breath of God. We are supposed to be, in, in the words of the Apostle Peter, he talked about people being carried along by the Holy Spirit. He uses a nautical metaphor, a sailing metaphor. We are supposed to be... Uh, sails that catch the wind blowing into us and we're carried along by that to speak but it's a journey first you seek God you are keen you say I'm willing to be a fool for Christ I'm prepared to be brave I might have to stand up and speak I know some of you in this room you would rather go to Timbuktu in fact, worse, Timbuk 3 you would go to than stand up and speak. I get that. I get it. You'd rather join the Sunday school rotor, wouldn't you? Like Paul did when he said, I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. It was a particularly rowdy youth club. So it's often a prophecy is a, is a journey. Begins with your eagerness. Begins with your... With your openness begins with you building up your own self. Then coming into a worship space, uh, opening up your heavenly Wi-Fi to God, looking at Him, listening to Him, letting that mail begin to drop into your inbox, wherever you think that is. 
And then once that mail is there, trying to decode it, understand it, what am I supposed to do with this impression that I've got? Lord, will you help me to shape this? Am I going to be biblical in this moment? Am I sure that what I'm saying reflects the character and the will of God as revealed in the Bible? And then after that, you're going to stand to your feet and give the delivery, which is what we'll talk about after the break.